Paz. How are you today? Slavo, I'm with you. I'm fantastic. How are you? It's great. We, we're doing a podcast. We're down here. Both gotten both of our uh, COVID-19 vaccine shots. So we're vaccinated. Uh, let's, let's party. Let's, <laughs> let's have a good time. So we're partying. We're drinking, dr- drinking some tasty drinks. And uh, we're here today to talk about an American icon. An icon of the 20th century. Yeah. International icon. An international icon. A world icon. By the name of Bruce Lee. Who is known and renowned. Our listeners may have heard of him for being a martial artist. For being a movie star. And for being kind of a pop culture figure in the United States and in... uh, Asia. So Bruce Lee was born on November 27th, 1940 as Lee Jun Fan. His father was uh, Chinese and his mother was uh, part Chinese and part German, which is significant because that German ancestry would come play a role like very much throughout his life. Yeah. And I think I heard he might have even been part British, but you know, I mean, here in Buzzing Biographies, we've said it before. We're all Pangean. All of our ancestors <laughs> came from Pangea. He's definitely, you know, mixed race, and it, it played a role throughout his life. Yeah, it played a significant role. Um, interestingly enough, he was born in the year of the dragon, and he was also born in the hour of the dragon. Whoa, I didn't know they had hours. Yeah, <laughs> which then begged the question, is there a day of the track? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know on that one. Um, but yeah, so he was born in the year of the dragon and then the hour of the dragon. And I guess when you get the combo of the year and the hour, yeah. it, it really is an omen that you're going to be doing some uh, dragonous things in yeah. your life. I mean, it sounds pretty sweet. He was born in San Francisco in the United States, which um, which was kind of a surprise to me. And it turns out that his parents were on tour with the Chinese opera. His father was was a performer in the opera. He was very well known in China. So they were traveling, doing a tour in the United States. And uh, Bruce was born. And then they headed back to Hong Kong. That was where he was primarily raised in his early life. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it was surprising that he came from this performance uh, opera actor family. And yeah, while in Hong Kong, they were very wealthy. He had servants. They were, you know. <laughs> Must be nice. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, so he was doing very well in Hong Kong. He was literally, I think he acted, or quote unquote, acted in his first play and was first on stage at three months old in a play called golden gate girl. And he was in um, his first movie at the age of nine. And by the age of 18, he had been in 20 films. So yeah, yeah he was kind of born into this where, yeah, his dad's an actor and they need a, they need a baby and they take a, a young three month old, Bruce Lee to play a young girl and you know then he's starring in movies from like 9 to 18 he's he's learning the trade yeah so I think that kind of it set him up as a showman which is something that we're going to touch on more Mm -hmm. is that he was such a showman he was almost um, like in his later years he was almost like a Muhammad Ali type in some ways and that he was so um, had this presence about him. So you could tell that from a young age, he was kind of set up for that. He was set yeah. up to be on stage. He was set up to be in the, in the spotlight. Yeah. Yeah. I mean that his two big things were throughout his life were acting and fighting. And, you know, we're seeing here, he is getting started acting at a young age and he, he also, also started, started fighting, fighting at a young age, age. In street fights, he was a brawler, a street tough. He was in gangs. <laughs> yeah. Dude, I, this made me think of like, I know this is like 
it's kind of doing him a disservice, but this made me think of like West Side Story, like the Jets and the Sharks. Oh, absolutely. No. And like uh, The Outsiders, if you ever read that book, just like yeah, these these street gangs, because they would they would meet up, you know, it'd be like people from maybe the British side of Hong Kong and they would meet up at these places and have fights. They would have duels. If someone wronged you, you'd be like, hey, meet me on the rooftop. They always fought on rooftops. <laughs> meet me so at cool. sundown. It's so cool. It's yeah. yeah. And it, it, I mean, <laughs> it was so cool. I mean, this, which is why like the whole like martial arts gang fighting, like this made it into cinema and like mm-hmm. became a huge thing is because it's like, pretty wild thing that was going on they were just having like one-on-one like street fights and they weren't just like tackling each other or whatever like they were doing martial arts and fighting to submission yeah oh yeah and occasionally you know people would bring knives bring chains and i mean he was a street fighter before he was like a practice martial artist and Mm -hmm. then one of his fellow friends slash street tough he noticed was like performing really well and he was training and introduced bruce lee to uh martial arts is this um was that william chung yeah 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 so william chung interestingly so he introduces bruce lee to this uh grandmaster of wing chung kung fu william chung is now currently the grandmaster of Wing Chun Kung Fu. Whoa. Yes, present day. And the um, grandmaster at the time. Dude, he uh, present day, he's probably like 90. Like how old? Yeah, man, dude. He's, I think I could beat up the grandmaster. <laughs> no, you uh, couldn't, dude. Yeah, dude, he's, on he's what 90. Planet, on what planet do you think you could beat him up? You honestly think that? Dude, if he's I'm gonna look this up. someone over ninety, he's not over ninety. <clears throat> I mean, we started. If this Bruce story Lee was alive to this day, yeah, he would be eighty-one years old. That's good math. Do you think you could beat up an eighty-one-year-old Bruce, Bruce Lee? Lee? How many fifth graders could an eighty-one-year-old Bruce? He's Lee eighty to eighty-one. Okay, all right, all right. I'm not gonna. Uh, I'm gonna retract you a saying, little bit. Are you saying that you could beat up William Trump? I'm challenging him <laughs> for the title of Grandmaster because do you think? Do you think like an I don't know one year old man? So we're talking about William Chung, sure. Who was the one who introduced Bruce Lee to yeah. martial arts? And both of their grandmaster, their teacher, who taught them everything they know, was a little someone by the name of Ip Man or Yip Man. Mm -hmm. Do you know – have you seen Ip Man movies? I haven't seen them, but I'm very – I know of them. And yeah, huge name. (laughs) Absolutely name drop. Huge name (laughs) in in the martial arts world. Yeah. Who was <laughs> grandmaster of Wing Chun Kung Fu. So this yeah. is like it's like a cauldron of like elite mm-hmm. superpowers of Kung Fu. Yeah. I think this guy could could beat me up. Even so though he's eighty. At, he looks at what healthy. age at what age would you be able to beat him up? Like eighty five when he's ninety? There's gonna be some point. Where I don't care. Where the scale tilts tilts towards me. We might be there, honestly. (laughs) I think he just could probably generate so much power. The thing is, the speed goes down over time. So Reactions, everything. That's true. That's true. So in 1984, William Chung set a world speed punching record. Guess how many punches per second? Ooh, um, five. 8.3. Wow. 
Yeah. It, but that was also in 1984. Obviously, in 1984, he could have <laughs> whooped us. But I mean, at 80, it's tough. <laughs> yeah. I, I've, I've talked myself down. I, I, I think I could beat him up <laughs> if I had to, which I wouldn't want to. But I think if I had to, I could. So William Chung introduced him to Ip Man or Yip Man. Who, um, who then starts training him in the art of Wing Chun Kung Fu. And it was interesting because this is where his ancestry kind of came into play because originally he wasn't allowed because he had a grandparent who was German. Mm-hmm. Like he wasn't allowed to be training, but then Ip Man trained him anyways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, yeah, the, a lot of the fellow students, yeah, refused to train because, he wasn't entirely Chinese, but I think Ip Man just continued the training. And it was privately. quite the honor because there were only – at any point, there were only like five or six people that were training with Ip Man. It wasn't, yeah. it wasn't like a um, – it wasn't like everybody in the whole school got to train with Ip Man like personally. Like yeah, no, yeah. it was Bruce Lee. It was William Chung and like maybe a couple other people. Yeah. So, yeah. so then in, in 1958 – so he's 17 or 18 years old at this point. He won the Hong Kong schools boxing tournament. And then in the same year, he won the Hong Kong crown colony cha-cha championship, which yep. was a dancing championship. Oh yeah. He was a talented dancer. Cha-cha. Yeah. I mean, he knew how to move his body and I mean, okay. So he is a, actor he's on the the big screen he also he's a street tough you know he's kind of a bad boy he is a bad boy but he can also dance you know (laughs) and has soft feet and you know be sensitive like he is a girl's dream like he just checks every box (laughs) and he's wealthy (laughs) are you talking about are you talking about bruce lee are you talking about john travolta (laughs) in west side story (laughs) because <laughs> it sounds like he's a real life yeah he is literally like he's the dream yeah he's yeah well except for the fact that he was in gang fights which <laughs> continued <laughs> he kept getting yeah. into street fights at one point he um got in a fight with the child of somebody from the triads and then in one fight on a rooftop he, um, I guess, so what they said was that, or what people say, historians say that he was like, he went to shake the guy's hand at the beginning of the fight and the guy sucker punched him and it like sent him into a rage. So he ended up, uh, so, so he got sucker punched and he was angry and he just beat the guy to a pulp and mm-hmm knocked out a tooth and the police went to his parents and they said, if he gets into another fight, we're going to have to arrest him. Yeah. He's beating people up and it's not good. Yeah. 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 We were romanticizing it a little bit. It was definitely an issue at his house that he was always getting into these fights. They didn't approve of the martial art classes, which was also kind of contributing and, and I mean, I, I think he even got kicked out of some schooling. Like yeah. it, it was in, in a lot of these fights, um, you know, he was kind of looking to fight. It sounded like he was like <laughs> out there just like <laughs> looking, looking to throw fists. Yeah. Goes, well, I mean, that tends to happen when you know you're going to win. <laughs> and he was definitely a great fighter. So his family kind of had a conversation about it and they said, all right. Bruce, we think you're on a little bit of a bad path here. So we are going to send you back to the United States to go stay with some family. And that's what he did. He went back to San Francisco. I think he spent some time working in a kitchen at some point. Yeah. I think his dad, who grew up uh, in a more blue-collar, less affluent environment, wanted him to learn kind of how to make it on his own and so he had a friend who had a kitchen and he was like 
treat them just like any other worker, like give them a small space to live in. So it was definitely like a, a dose of reality for Bruce Lee. Yeah. So he gets his nice dose of reality and then he ends up moving to Seattle, Washington. And that is where he finishes up high school. And then he ends up enrolling at the university of Washington, which is also in Seattle at the university of Washington. He decides he's going to study philosophy. Yeah. Which is always a big thing in his life is philosophy and just kind of, I feel like, I don't know, a little hippie-ish. Like he was always a, a deep thinker and yeah, I, th- I feel like the martial arts, it's all about introspection. I went into a deep YouTube mm-hmm. rabbit hole about like Shaolin monks and like monk training mm-hmm. and just all about like Buddhism and just all these thoughts about how it's all about the body, but also the mind at the same time. And like philosophy totally makes sense. If you're a martial artist and you're doing all these things physically, like studying philosophy mm-hmm. and uh, that's, that's great. Yeah. And yeah, one of his f- famous lines was be water. And this is kind of the don't follow the rigid rules necessarily in fighting or in life you got you got to be water as he would say if you put water into a bowl into a glass it fits to the shape and whenever he did interviews every question they asked he would be very philosophical and would he just he kind of sounds like a hippie (laughs) i need to find a better way to describe this but every answer you know he extrapolates to the truths of life in that vein of all the bruce lee interviews i heard where every discussion would turn spiritual and philosophical and deep and he was good he he spoke very well and Mm -hmm. he spoke some truths um slavo i want to ask you some questions and then i want you to answer it like bruce lee might spiritually philosophically tell us truths in these simple questions you want me to find the meaning within the meaning within the question exactly okay are you ready are you in the proper headspace i don't know honestly (laughs) (laughs) so slavo is a hot dog a sandwich i would say a hot dog is an idea a sandwich maybe is it just a chunk of meat in between two delicious sides of a bun perhaps (laughs) but I think a hot dog is what you want it to be it's 4th of July with your family it's take me out to the ball game sitting on the third baseline <laughs> with a couple of close friends. A hot dog is a gateway. Ooh. It's a cultural icon. Mm-hmm. And it's whatever you need it to be. Ooh. Yeah, it's true. Can't argue with that. So, Slavo, do you wear <laughs> boxers or briefs? People say that the testicles... <laughs> Are the gateway to the soul. (laughs) And that is why I wear briefs. I like my testicles to be supported. I like my testicles to know that I'm there for them. The briefs, they keep everything right in check. Mm-hmm. At any point, I'm walking up the street. I'm sitting in a chair. I'm lounging on the couch. They're right there. In a pair of boxers, your testicles are just flopping around. God knows where so they are. True. So true. Amen. Um, <clears throat> why does poop smell? Mm. 
I think when you poop, you're washing away mm-hmm. the waste. You've taken what you needed. You're moving on. And I think the smell is really just telling you not to look back. It's saying, don't come back to me. Move on. Go full speed in the opposite direction. Yeah. I mean, biologically, I think that's accurate. I think we don't like the way it smells probably because we're not supposed to eat it. Like what you said, I think works on the biological level. Yeah. And the philosophical spiritual level of leave the waste behind your past wrongdoings the stuff you didn't need that you left behind leave it there that's where it Mm -hmm. needs to be yeah um i think there's metaphorical comparisons that could be made based off of my answer (laughs) (laughs) don't be the poop in my life (laughs) that's what i'm trying to say oh boy so, do you have any other questions for me? No, no, but I mean, that is kind of how a Bruce Lee interview would go. Someone would ask him a question, <laughs> and it was great. It was great. You'd learn stuff about life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, do I feel like we sidetracked a little bit there? Yes, but I feel like that's that's exactly how it would have gone. <laughs> we lost control. Um, okay, so... He's a philosophy student at the University of Washington, and he's got friends at the University of Washington that are like, Bruce, you are this crazy martial artist. You should teach us how to do it. And so he starts doing teaching at the University of Washington. And while he's there, one of his students was one Linda Lee Cadwell, who eventually he asked her on a date, and they went on a date, and then they fell in love, and the rest is history from them from a relationship standpoint one thing led to another and it sounds like she joined these uh, martial arts classes kind of with this intent like she saw him around (laughs) he's pretty cute i mean physically impressive when you think about like how fast he must have been oh absolutely yeah very and he's charismatic very charismatic guy. Um, so he so he ends up with Linda, which is great. He um, and of course this is slightly controversial at the time, where I don't think her family, uh, definitely not slightly, I don't, her family wasn't fully on board. They kept it a secret for a while because it was mixed race, um, and then also I don't think. I think the family was a little concerned how he would provide being he was like a at this point a martial arts teacher mm-hmm. studied a little philosophy yeah because he he ends up dr- dropping out of the University of Washington he yep. drops out and he starts his own martial arts studio he's teaching his his own philosophy which is called Jeet Kune Do, which yep. is kind of his own alteration of the uh, Wing Chen philosophy. Yeah, it, he was well known for taking a lot of different fighting techniques, combining them, and creating his own. And, you know, he would write books about it. It would be super in depth, and of course, be a little philosophical. <laughs> yeah, a little bit philosophical. So he opens up a studio in Oakland, California. And um, starts doing martial arts teachings there. And a significant thing, again, is that he is willing to teach anyone. Yep. And that causes some hubbub in the community because he is teaching uh, Chinese philosophies to non-Chinese folks in Oakland. Yep. Westerners, foreign devils. That's what they said. <laughs> um, so things come to a head, don't they? Where um, <laughs> this is one of those stories where it's like, where does the myth become the truth? 
Oh, absolutely. The propaganda versus, you know, what actually happened. Because uh, it's speculated that he is approached by another studio who says, we don't want you teaching Westerners our philosophies. And he says, you know what? I'm going to take on your best pupil, the best person from your studio. I'm going to fight them in a one-on-one combat. And if I win, I get to keep doing what I want to do. And if I lose, I won't teach Westerners my, in my studio anymore. Yeah. Again, these are, these are like duels that we are settling disputes via combat. And so it's disputed if that's why it started. Yeah. The other party claims it was just because Bruce Lee was arrogant and said he could just beat up anyone. So <laughs> like, I will fight anyone. But I, I mean, at the same time, like they're not going to come out and be like, or maybe they would. Do you think they would come out and be like, no. <laughs> yeah, we told them not to teach yeah. any Westerners. Especially, you know, yeah. I mean, this isn't a big story until later on when Bruce Lee becomes famous. And not exactly. Seems um, totally conceivable. Yeah, very possible. And so they get in this fight. And then there's two <laughs> there's two trains of thought. Either A, the fight lasted twenty to 25 minutes and it was just like an absolute bruiser yeah. or it lasted like two to three minutes and Bruce just dominated the guy. <laughs> I don't know which I choose to believe. So yeah, I mean, I think there were three eyewitnesses, you know, two on one side, one on the other. Bruce Lee claims he got the other guy to submit. The other fighter claims they quit after a while just because Bruce Lee was too tired and that he had many openings where he could have killed Bruce Lee, but you know, this, he didn't want to literally kill him. You know, who knows what to believe? Probably Bruce won. He was defending equality. (laughs) Yeah. We're just going to, yeah, we're just going to go with that. And then I did also heard that this other fighter publicly challenged Bruce Lee to like a public fight and Bruce just kind of ignored it. So who knows? Who knows? Who knows? But he kept teaching people. So whatever agreement was made, he ended up keeping uh, yeah. teaching folks. And uh, he has a couple kids, Brandon and Shannon. Um, he starts work or he continues to work on Jeet Kune Do, um, which is his own form of the martial arts. He uh, develops a reputation for a one inch punch, which is super cool. Oh, yeah. This is his marquee. If there's a video game with Bruce Lee in it, like you hit X, this is what he does. The one inch punch. It's a big deal. He's trying to grow his teaching and he wants to like franchise it, become the martial arts um, brand of fighting. And I think he even opens up two studios before we'll see. He eventually goes back to his acting roots. But I think this one inch punch was you know one way to get good publicity because like holy shit a one inch punch what a headline I mean, is that even possible or is this like a cartoon superhero <laughs> yeah and did you see the video of him with uh joe lewis who is the karate guy i didn't see that one but i did see some of him doing so basically like he bruce and then Joe Lewis, who was this karate master at the time in the U.S., they went to the same event, and they ha- and they had a guy stand there and hold like a pad in front of his chest, and Joe Lewis like did his hardest karate punch and punched the pad, and the guy like took a couple steps back, 
and then Bruce Lee did his one inch punch and the guy like blasted back into his chair. And this happened. Was this stage? You're saying know. you have, I mean, so Bruce Lee, very well known, incredible martial artist, very legitimate, but you have this Joe Lewis guy who we know is like professionally a fighter. That is his profession. And he gets to wind up and punch this pad and it does nothing. But Bruce Lee, who is it, an incredibly did something, the guy like the guy like okay. raised it and he like yeah. took a step back. But like clearly when Bruce did his, he fell back way harder. And Bruce's was one inch. And yeah, it was like I mean, they say one inch, but it was like Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he so what he does visually, he extends his fingers and then he closes them and punches at the same time. Yeah. And it's like it almost looks like an electrical pulse. Yeah. Just like it's it's a very short, quick movement. Definitely like whole body in a way. And, but and, if this is true, that's absolutely incredible because I mean, Bruce Lee is an incredible martial artist, but if you're saying you have like a professional guy who can wind up, you know, it's it, very interesting. Yeah. And everybody can go see it for themselves. But in the video, Joe Lewis punches. So what they say happened was Bruce Lee, like, let Joe Lewis punch him. And then he punched Joe Lewis and like blasted Joe Lewis back into the chair. Yeah, I, I've heard of this. I've definitely seen him punch people in his chair. And I do think I remember Joe Lewis saying, like, it made his chest sore for days. And, like, he didn't go back to it work. So, very cool. I got to be honest. I'm a little skeptical. Like, there's, like, what's the catch? This sounds like a Harry Houdini trick, you know? <laughs> it, does, it is a little bit reminiscent of Harry Houdini. But, um but everybody who talks about Bruce Lee, they talk about how he was the real deal. Oh, he, he was absolutely the real deal in terms of fitness. Like he was lifting weights back in a time when football players didn't lift weights. Like he was way ahead of that curve. And yeah, his martial arts skills were incredible. You know, he had success in Hong Kong competitively. He was obviously this street tough. And yeah, and all these demos and trainings, he was the real deal. Absolutely. Yeah, he was obsessed with physical fitness for sure. Uh, at a time where it uh, wasn't all too common. All right, and while we're here, um, this one-inch punch. There's a bunch of these kind of myth or legends with Bruce Lee, and I have a couple of them. Then, and they remind me of the Chuck Norris jokes have you ever like read <laughs> up on the chuck norris jokes chuck norris jokes are great and chuck norris is part of the story we should also know oh he's very much he was a pallbearer at his the untimely death of bruce lee you know at at bruce lee's funeral okay but here are a couple claims myths you know who knows where reality is with these about bruce lee um one of them is he could punch a hole in a can of a Coke with his finger, like straight through. Definitely believe it. Definitely believe it. He could do, he would do um, like part of his highlight tape was that he would do push-ups with his index finger and his thumb. Yeah. Very impressive. And he would go around and do some of this stuff to promote his, martial arts brand okay another one if you opened your hand with a dime in it he could replace the dime in your hand before you could close it i don't believe that one yeah i mean again this is a little harry houdini-esque <laughs> i think i could i think i could close my hand but that i, I they say he was fast though yeah and i guess if he is five feet away from you he could punch you in 0.8 seconds Anyways, the point is he's very fast, and when they were filming, he was so fast that he could move faster than the frames per second, and it would look bad on the visuals. So producers would always tell him to slow down. Yeah, he had to learn how to be how to do stunts for film at the time. 
yeah. because he was so quick that he and if you watch the film it's not like he's slow no he is it's so quick it's still like blurry <laughs> yeah but that was what they said was that like at full speed he was it was too blurry and it didn't look good so yeah. they had him slow down dude there was some video <laughs> that was then confirmed to be fake and it was a video of Bruce Lee playing ping pong against two people and Bruce Lee was using nunchucks <laughs> and the other and the guy was like it was like a professional ping pong player <laughs> and it was Bruce Lee and I like looked it up online and it was like yeah it was a stunt double and it was fake <laughs> god, god damn it but if you go on YouTube and it's like Bruce Lee nunchucks ping pong they'll be like it, like YouTube will be like watch and it looks crazy. It's him just like whipping around nunchucks and just like it sounds winning so in ping pong. Yeah. <laughs> like every point. That's great. So 1966, Bruce gets cast in the TV adaptation of the radio show because this was kind of just like a weird blast from the past thing. They had radio shows, which were story based that then turned into TV shows. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. Because like, like if you think about like Batman, this would be a show. They would just read the story on the radio and that was how people got entertainment. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I think the world's just going full circle and now a lot of podcasts are adding video and there's going to be podcasts that become like TV shows (laughs) Oh, Jesus. Oh, that's so funny to think about. Okay, so it started, it was radio doing stories, and then it became TV, TV shows. And then now we've gotten to the point. <laughs> and then now we're going, we went back to podcasts. <laughs> but then the podcasts are becoming TV shows. Yep. Dude, life's a circle, man. Trends always come back. I mean, it's pretty funny. It's just like the whole thing with all the uh, all the streaming services and how eventually somebody's going to put together the streaming services. <laughs> yes. No, it's going to become cable again. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's so true. <laughs> Someone just needs to combine Netflix and Hulu. Yeah, and Netflix. yeah if it's only there were a way that we could just get them all in one package. Yeah. So he gets cast, he gets cast as Cato in The Green Hornet which is a big role for him. It's kind of like a superhero show. And The Green Hornet, which people may know, there was a reboot. Seth Rogen was The Green Hornet. (laughs) I did not know this. Did you not know that? That So Seth Rogen got cast as The Green Hornet in a reboot in like, I want to say like 2010 or so. Mm -hmm. And and was it a comedy? I mean, obviously. It was like funny, but... it was like a superhero movie. Mm-hmm. Like a funny superhero movie. Like a superhero movie. It was like, it, it was like Seth Rogen was going to be an A list actor. Okay. Interesting. But that was the modern version, which failed. That movie flopped bad. Yeah. And the TV show, unfortunately kind of flopped too when Bruce was in it. Yeah. I mean, it was definitely a big time move for him and got him back into acting um, where he was kind of this sidekick, the Robin in the Green Hornet. Um, mm-hmm. Yes, he was the, the chauffeur. And uh, so, interestingly, they had the Green Hornet and then they also had Batman and Robin at the same time. And the Green Hornet wasn't doing very well, so they integrated the two shows. Love it. And they had them do like a meetup and Cato fought Robin. Yeah. And originally they wrote it so that Robin was going to beat Cato. Mm-hmm. And Bruce was like, no, yeah. I'm not doing it. So eventually they agreed to do a draw. It was how it ended. <laughs> yeah. And, and then he used this kind of exposure and 
dare I say, networking. And then now he starts training celebrities for a pretty high price tag. Yeah. And he's working with all these big celebrities, these famous people, Mm -hmm. and making good money as kind of the Hollywood kung fu martial artists guru. Yeah, he his acting career. So the Green Hornet got canceled, and his acting career kind of fizzled. Yeah, but yeah. And he he, but he used the connections that he made to kind of become. He was training Steve McQueen, and he was training Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and like all these interesting people. And he kind of became yeah. uh, like a big person in Hollywood, even though oh, he yeah. wasn't acting. Yeah. So. Um, at one point, he went to Hong Hong Kong to go see if he can get any acting parts, and it didn't work. And he came back, and that was when he was doing his uh, his martial arts training with celebrities. And then he goes back to Hong Kong mm-hmm. a year later. Yep. And he has blown up. Yeah. And the shocking thing was he didn't know it. He he got off the airplane, and so they aired the Green Hornet in. Uh, Hong Kong and China, and instead of being the Robin, he became the Batman. And Cato was the the star of the show, and he was huge in Hong Kong. But he has no idea while he's living mm-hmm. in California, which is kind of crazy. But you think about it back then, you know, you don't have the internet. What, what people gonna write you letters? Like, send you send you copies of the newspaper? Yeah. And so he was very surprised to realize how big he was. Mm-hmm. And and then he goes on to have this like pretty successful movie career in Hong Kong. But again, not quite famous in the United States. Yep. So he he goes to Hong Kong. He realizes that they've been calling the Green Hornet the Cato Show. And one of the big movie producers in Hong Kong is basically like – we need to come together. We're going to put together some movies. We're going to release movies. You're going to be the star. And that is going to how you're going to springboard your career from an acting mm-hmm. perspective. Yeah. And these Hong Kong movies, interestingly enough, they would bust these movies out. It was like a manufacturing business and they would record an entire movie in three days. And, <laughs> They were all dubbed, so then afterwards they would go uh, dub the movies in whatever language, Mandarin, Cantonese, English. Uh, But it it sounded like very much like a factory, and they would bust them out in a lot cheaper than what Hollywood would do. Which is pretty cool. And uh, so his first movie came out in 1971. It was called The Big Boss. And so I was watching this thing with his wife and she said that they went to the premiere. I guess Hong Kong moviegoers are like (laughs) notoriously, they like, you never know like what they're going to do. She said that there's like, if they don't like the movie that they like, they'll start yelling and they, they like start like stabbing the seats (laughs) with knives. I love it. Just start. I love it. Just show like, your hate you know, it so much. There's no Yelp reviews back then. You gotta stab the movie theater chairs. <laughs> burn the movie theater to the ground. <laughs> and so she said that they went to the premiere and everybody was quiet the whole time. She thought that they didn't like it. But then as soon as the movie ended, they like erupted and it was cemented that Bruce was just the man. And yeah it broke like every box office record in Hong Kong. Yeah. He was a big deal. Walking around the streets. Everyone knew him giving out high fives. Yep. So that movie came out in 1971 and then his second movie, Fist of Fury came out in 1972. And in this movie, he used nunchucks and it was like the first time that they had been used in a martial arts movie. So he was just, doing all sorts of crazy stuff. He was just being a revolutionary. Yeah. Pretty cool. Um, yeah. I always thought it'd be cool if nunchucks had like little sword 
stabby things on each end. Like not where you would grab it, but you know, a little sharp end at the end of the nunchucks. Like, cause if you're, if you're, if you're in a fight with a sword versus nunchucks, I feel like the nunchucks, you're kind of fucked. I mean, not if you're Bruce Lee and you're this supreme. Well, it's a completely different weapon from that standpoint. Yeah. I mean, but that's what could happen. You know, you're going into these street fights. So you want, <laughs> wait, so to confirm, you want the ends to be pointy or do you want swords sticking out of the ends? Like, because uh, you need the handle, right? Yeah, you need the handle, and then like five inches, just to make it. You don't want just a blunt object. You want that sharp sword that can do a cut, and then it's a then it's more of a fair fight. So then you could do like a kind of like throw it out, pointy end of the yeah stabbing motion. Yeah, basically like a sword, but it's not as rigid. What if you put the two nunchucks together? And then became kind of like a Darth Maul. <laughs> oh, let's go! Sword that you can then fight people with. That that's pretty badass. <laughs> I'm in. I mean, we might have just invented a weapon right there. <laughs> yeah, I think we got something. I, uh, somebody could probably find a flaw with your logic, but I can't find a flaw. I do think they should probably have swords sticking out of the ends. Yeah, and then it's just like. Yeah, I know what you're doing or else you're going to hurt yourself. But I do think that nunchucks, like, the way that he would, like, whip them around, like, you kind of, like, hit him off your back or whatever. Oh, like, yeah. it's kind yeah, of, like, yeah. a thing. So, like, yeah, that's true. You got to be careful. You would have to keep that in mind if yeah. you're going to do. Yeah. Alrighty. So. His next movie. Well... Actually, I should say, after his first two movies, he then goes back to the U.S. and is like, ooh, I'm a superstar over in Asia. Mm-hmm. Can I get a part? And no. Um, in one movie that ended up being called Kung Fu, he was considered too Chinese-looking for the role. Yeah. And the part was ended up, they gave it to a white guy, and then they like made him look part, partly Chinese. Yeah. Makeup. Like, that was where they were at. <laughs> like, they still weren't ready for Bruce Lee. And this was in 1972. Yeah, they're missing out. And then, so, but back in Hong Kong, at this point, he is the head actor. He's the director. He's the stunt coordinator. He's doing everything. So he comes out with The Way of the Dragon in 1973. And in this one, he fights Chuck Norris. Chuck Norris is his pupil turned enemy. And this is like where Chuck Norris then propels into a superstar is based off this movie. Oh, wow. Yeah. I wasn't sure where in the timeline Chuck Norris was, but this is great. I love that they are good friends and Chuck Norris had a pretty solid, was it kickboxing or something? Karate. Yeah. Um, professional career and I was watching like the one great scene from this in the final fight when they're battling who knows what's going to happen it seems like Chuck Norris has the edge and then Bruce Lee reaches out and grabs his chest hair (laughs) and rips it off it was great what a moment what a moment when he grabs his chest hair got the (laughs) full grip of his chest hair and just Blows it out of his hand. Uh, interestingly enough, do you know who was offered the Chuck Norris part before Chuck Norris? Joe Lewis? That is correct. Wow. And he said no because, spoiler alert, Chuck Norris loses at the end of the fight. And yep. Joe Lewis was like, no, I'm not going to lose. Yeah. And, and fair enough. Uh, like, if you were a if you were Floyd Mayweather, would you ever take a role in a movie where you lose? Like you're an undefeated. I mean, I'm not saying that this guy's no Floyd Mayweather, but he's like a professional fighter who, like, if he fought. Yeah, but uh, but if it was Floyd Mayweather, and it's like, all right, we're gonna do a MMA versus boxing fight, and yeah, I'm gonna beat you in a movie. Yeah, Floyd Mayweather might be like, 
no, I'm not going to do that. So yeah. it's it's conceivable, but yeah, Chuck Norris <laughs> did it. Yeah, and Chuck Norris then was propelled into exactly. superstardom yeah. after it. That's, that's a very good point. Uh, Way of the Dragon popped off, did great, and then um, he starts filming another movie, Game of Death, starring Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who uh, was. He's a basketball player in the United States. He was one of his students. And then now he's co-starring in this movie. And if you saw the fight scenes, it's crazy <laughs> because Bruce, uh, he can't be more than like 5'8". Yeah, I, th- I think he's 5'7", like 135. <laughs> Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's <laughs> 7 feet tall. Yeah, so his legs are like preposterously long. But he he can move pretty well. So yeah. it's kind of an interesting fight scene between them. No, yeah, I, I definitely get the... Like the marketing appeal of it, and just the the appeal, like it's it's great. And at this point, the movies are, um, he's kind of got that traction in the U.S. to the point that he's considered basically considered like the number one most prominent martial artist in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean it. The, the future is looking bright. It looks like he is has this green pastures ahead of him in terms of uh, his movie career, especially now in the United States. Yeah, the future is looking bright. What could go wrong? And as it turns out, everything could go wrong. The uh, Unfortunately, he's hospitalized. But he feels some sort of dizziness on May 10th, 1973. Um, he's dizzy so he gets hospitalized and then he's doing editing of game of death and he has a headache this is in july a little bit later and his friend did you did you think there was anything like weird about the way that this all went down with he was like staying at his like friend's house (laughs) i mean I would say the breadcrumbs are there that he was having an affair. And actually, I think it's a documented, again, breadcrumbs. Uh, I, I think he had probably, you know, more than a few affairs is what it sounds like. Okay. Because he was at his, like, his co-star's house and he... Quote, unquote, taking a nap in her bed. <laughs> yeah. And he wasn't feeling well. So he had a headache, so she gave him a pill of this thing called Iquigasic. I think I mispronounced it, but whatever. So she gave him that, and then he went to bed, and then she went to check on him a couple hours later to let him nap it off, and he didn't wake up. Yeah, and, and, and yeah, sadly died and um you know it's always it's especially tough when he's so young and has this very bright future and all this stuff he's about to contribute to society but yeah as you mentioned before that may 10th like a few months before he was checked into the hospital because um he had the dizziness i think he he even he passed out for a little bit and had seizures and it um and people think what may have contributed to it I mean, he, he was taking uh, some medicine for his issues, but also, so he had his armpit sweat glands removed because in the film, he had like too many pit stains or he, it, too much sweat under his armpits. So he had that removed and people think that may have contributed to him overheating um, May 10th, not when he died, but bit before it. But wow. he definitely was starting to have these health issues. And if you believe in conspiracy theories, he, you know, he took out like two life insurances, I believe. And, you know, probably why anyone takes out life insurance just to um, provide for their family members in the case of an unfortunate event. But some people say, like to think it was because the triads were after him and he knew it. And so he wanted to look out for his family and take out the insurance policies. But it really does seem like he had a few health issues and medication that could have been um, 
Well, because like he, death. he like super fucked up his back at one point. Yeah. And um, like he pinched a nerve in his back and ended up, he needed to, he went to doctors and he had to do six months of rehab and they were like, you're never going to be able to do martial arts again. Yeah. And he ended up fighting all the way back. And then what he ended up taking, which is the thing that ended up killing him, it was like kind of like a tranquilizer type thing, like yeah. maybe like a pseudo painkiller. They ended up saying that it was a, uh, they said it was an allergic reaction that called, that caused a cerebral edema. Mm-hmm. So uh, like fluid filled in his yeah. brain. And that was the word I was looking for, the medical term cerebral edema i was looking for earlier so that did happen the few months before his death when he had the seizures and they, like you're saying the fluid built up in the brain um but yeah why specifically it was happening like if it was that medication the pills if it was yeah and they said it was an allergic reaction but the the friend said that she had given him those pills before yeah so it was like uh, so yeah. it was uh, but that, but that's that's what they say was that it was that it was yeah. a reaction from the pills. So, and they also found um, I think he had some marijuana in his system, which is definitely not related to the death. But another point to I wanted to, I guess to bring up about his personality was um, he did smoke marijuana and he did live a little bit of this Hollywood hippie lifestyle where he was known mm. to um, mm. you know peace and love. Well, then there's the also factor where um, he may have been cursed. <laughs> yep. Let's not rule out the curse. So when, so his mom, before he was born, she had had another boy who had died. And so she was um, nervous. She was always nervous that he was going to die young. And so she called him Little Phoenix, which in Mandarin, it was, um, or in Cantonese, was um, like a feminine name, a feminine nickname. And she did that to trick the gods, so to speak, (laughs) that he was a girl and not a boy Mm -hmm. so that he wouldn't die young. And then there's also the curse issue where... They say that since he was teaching Westerners the martial arts, there there might have been some sort of curse on him yeah. that way as well. Yeah, and then I mean, playing into this curse, his son Brandon Lee, who was kind of following a similar career path as his dad, um, they had an accident with a prop gun. I think it was like supposed to be a blank, but it wasn't a blank, and he also died. You know, around. I forget the specific age. Maybe it was 28, but you know, that young age. So th- th- this yeah, curse, he, he died at 28. Yeah. Very. And Brandon Lee, by the way, stud, absolute stud. Yeah. Even more so than his father. Oh, at, even more so than his father. It was like, if you took Bruce Lee and you injected like Clark Kent into him, right? He's like, <laughs> he's like a Superman version of Bruce Lee absolute stud i mean from a hollywood perspective he was like he was like a more americanized version of bruce lee too yeah yeah he's probably born grew grew up in america yeah and he was just like destined for stardom so it was very unfortunate yeah very sad and it does it kind of reads like the kennedys where you know just different Mm -hmm. people having these super these unfortunate circumstances all right, you you got anything to add about Bruce, our boy Bruce? Oh, he, he was definitely a cultural bridge and icon. I think it was on Times list of like 100 most influential per- people. Yeah, I think something we should definitely note at the end is that he, in the in the process of releasing, he ended up releasing five movies, at least one of them posthumously he really reached superstardom right around his death and after, and he really propelled the careers of those around him in ways people like, uh, I hope this is said 
like a Bruce Lee, like a uh, Chuck Norris, a Jackie Chan. Mm-hmm. Jackie Chan, who is someone who he had met, and I think Jackie Chan was an extra in one of his movies, and he like hit him in the face and yeah. knocked him out. <laughs> but yeah, he man, really- I, I love Jackie Chan movies; they're so good because they have the humor component. You know, oh, they're great. Yeah, he he really did set that stage for martial arts to turn um, to take that next step, yeah. and unfortunately, he passed before he had the opportunity to kind of. Mm-hmm. realize that but but he still was a superstar of just monumental level certified legend absolute legend <laughs>